Well, it's Resurrection Sunday. I am contractually obligated to preach on the resurrection. To be clear, I could do that any Sunday. Amen. You know, I'm glad our church doesn't need a calendar to remind us that, oh, Christ rose again. Just preach it all the time and you'll be good. So where are we going for our text today? Well, remember those five years we were in the book of John? (laughs) And the calendar just happened to line up, or the scriptures just happened to line up with the calendar at times. And Well, I believe the same things happened again. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. As we're going through Genesis on Sunday mornings, I was really praying about what direction to take for, for Resurrection Sunday, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, where are you at in Genesis? And I just kind of went, oh, duh. Thank you, Lord. So Genesis chapter 3, we'll pick up where we left off, and where we are at in our text, I believe, will be a good launching point to speak about the need for the resurrection in the first place. So as we've been doing over the last several weeks, let's read verses 1 through 8 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. The eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So this is now our fifth week in this chapter. We've made it into verse 6 so far. And I was going to say we've been gobbling up all we can. That's probably not the best choice of words for this passage. (laughs) So we'll just say we've been taking our time going through this. And some of you will get that later, I guess. But last time, we saw how Eve concluded three things about this tree in verse 6. Number one, it was good for food. Number two, it was pleasant to the eyes. And number three, it was desired to make one wise. 1 John 2.16, remember, says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. When she perceived the tree was good for food, she lusted with her flesh. When she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, she lusted with her eyes. And when she desired it to make her wise, she had the pride of life. And all of our sinful problems in life will come down to one of these three areas. Sometimes all three, as we see here in our text. It has, temptation has something there that is either going to appeal to our flesh, appeal to our carnal sight, or it's something that is going to feed our pride. We then considered the downward progression to transgression. There in verse 6, she perceived. 
she viewed, she reached out and she took, and then she ate. And you will first think about sin, then you will see it with your mind's eye, then you will connect to it in some way, and then eventually you're going to indulge in your sin. But remember that Satan could only tempt her. He could not force her to sin. So he didn't take it, put it in her hand, force it to her mouth, make her eat. It was all because she made a decision to do wrong. It was wrong for her to sin, but it was then evil for her to pass it on to somebody else. We are witnessing this kind of evil in America today from the transgendered movement. I'm not against reaching people. Don't take away something hateful from what I'm about to say. But the transgender movement right now is pushing their sinfulness upon our children and sometimes at very young ages. On April the 9th, in one of the reddest states in America, the University of Oklahoma hosted a drag queen story hour in which they advertised the targeted age as ages 2 to 10. Two years old. These story hours have become popular where they read children's books that are written to get children to begin to question their gender identity. It's sinful when someone like Bruce Jenner wants to become Caitlyn Jenner and has reassignment surgery at the age of 68. But listen to me, it is evil when people will begin pushing that ideology upon children who have not, can't even process that kind of thinking. You know, the neuroscientists have concluded that the brain isn't even fully developed until the mid-20s. Some are even saying now it may last to the 30s. And based on how some of you act, that may be true. Listen, if one wants to pick fruit from the tree and eat it, that's between them and God. But when that same one wants to take that fruit and hand it to one of these little ones, that is evil. And Jesus said, uh, suffer not the little children. to Allow them to come unto me, is what He said. And He said, if anybody offends or if anybody trips up one of these little ones, it had been better for him that a millstone be tied about his neck and he be cast into the river and drowned. Amen. That was Christ's words, not mine. Amen. It's evil. Amen. I've said it before, but my heart breaks for those who have been indoctrinated from such a young age. I just saw an article yesterday after I had typed up these notes that a lady who is, I believe, 71, she was one of the pioneering transgendered scientists, has come out and said, well, actually she was born a he, but has come out and said that this has gotten too far. She said, it, it, he, this person said, it, it is not right to make little kids try to make this decision. And then I read an article today that said what, has, what is beginning to happen in America, we already know this is true, but they're just now catching up with it, that this whole transgender movement is just becoming a fad among kids. And so kids see it as the end thing to do. It's the popular thing to do. And so they do it, and then they can go to a public school without parental permission and start to get hormone therapies without their parents ever knowing it. That's a problem. Now, I want to reach them. I feel for those who have been confused by wrong teaching, but I have no patience for the adults who know better. Now, here's what I'm getting at. If you have sin in your life, and I believe we all have a besetting sin, then please don't pass that sin along to others. Don't drag them into the depth of your depravity. The remedy for Eve and also for Adam when they were tempted was to retreat to the safety of God's Word. 
God had given a command to them, if they would have just followed God's word, they would have been just fine. They were commanded not to eat from it. They were safe while walking within the boundaries and the confines of God's Word. But just as soon as they departed from the Bible, if you will, the Word of God for us today, amen, just as soon as you depart from that, just as soon as they departed from that, it all started going downhill from there. And the same is true for us and our children. We must retreat to the castle of God's Word. And we must teach our children to do the same. God is to be our hiding place. He is our strong tower. He is our refuge. We cannot respond to temptations through emotions, but we have to go to that one source that is permanent, that is safe, that never changes, never moves, and that's the Word of God. You have to be anchored in the Word of God. As we begin today, let's pick this back up at the end of verse 6 where we read, And He did eat. I cited 1 Timothy 2.14 last time, which says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. You see, Eve was beguiled through the subtlety of Satan. She was deceived. The Bible says Adam was not deceived. He just willingly took of the fruit. So, Adam, he willingly chose to take of the fruit, knowing full well that it was sinful to do so without any deception. So why did Adam partake as well? Well, I've heard some preachers wax eloquently about how he didn't want Eve to suffer alone. He chose the woman above God. And all of that makes for good preaching because many of women have been the downfall of many men. But the bottom line is the Bible never says any of that. So rather than trying to speculate... Let's just take what the book of James says in James 1, verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Biblically, we are safer to conclude that just as Eve was drawn away by her lust, so Adam was drawn away by his We don't need to try and concoct a noble reason why he sinned. The bottom line is he did. The only difference we know is that while Eve was deceived, Adam just stubbornly rebelled against God. Now before I go any further this morning, I would like to point out this first sin in the world occurred in a perfect environment to perfect people who were once walking with their perfect God. The only evil influence was the temptation by Satan. But he couldn't force them to sin. There was no alcohol. There was no illicit drugs. No peer pressure from other people. No ungodly music. No wicked teachers. No Hollywood influence. No internet. They had every reason to succeed, but they failed. And if these two, while in a perfect environment, fell, why do you think you can provide the best environment for your family and there not be failures in sin along the way? Now I'll say more when we get to chapter 4 when Cain kills Abel. 
But some of you need to stop looking for every reason under the sun why, you're, why your child or your spouse does wrong. You're beating yourself up. You're blaming yourself. You're coming up with all these reasons why they must have acted this way. i tell you why they did. It's because they're sinners. Listen, it's all about our heart. And we just need to recognize sometimes their heart's not right with God. Very popular evangelist. I don't know that I'm at liberty to say his name right now. You all know him. He comes to our church. He he preaches family camps, has um, a bunch of kids. And the last one decided to go astray. The other five, serving the Lord, walking with God, doing what they're supposed to do, living a godly life. And that last one decided to tell his dad, you're the reason why I turned out the way I did. And thankfully that dad looked at him and said, oh no you don't, the other five turned out just fine, you're just rebellious. You had the same opportunities, you were given the same environment, so don't give me that. Listen, you can take them to church three times a week. You can do daily devotions with them. You can warn them. You can teach them right from wrong, and you should. But at the end, it's up to them to buy the truth. It's up to them to get their hearts right with God. So stop beating yourself up for their sinful decisions. God gave Adam and Eve every advantage possible, but they still sinned. Cain had never heard of murder in his life, but he still killed his brother Abel. Judas Iscariot was with the best teacher that's ever walked the face of this earth for three and a half years, and he still betrayed his Lord. It's not always about the environment, but it's the heart. Now, don't misunderstand me. A godly environment is important. It's always preferred above an ungodly one. None of this is to suggest that we forsake uh, fostering a godly environment in our homes. And I agree with everything that Tyler said last week. We need to work hard at influencing the next generation. You should have church. You should have devotions. You should teach your family about God. You should train them up in the way that they should go. But all of that is not going to guarantee you that everything is going to go completely smooth without problems along the way. I can assure you God did not blame Himself that Adam and Eve chose to rebel and forsake Him. I can assure you that Jesus did not blame Himself that Judas Iscariot decided to betray Him. By all means, keep yourself, keep your family in the best environment possible, but understand that when all is said and done, you can only control your own actions. And then know this, Satan's after you. He's after your family. And he is relentless. He wants your children to fall. But you can't control their actions. But can I tell you this? Never give up on your family. Don't throw in the towel. Keep loving them with all that you've got. God kept loving Adam and Eve. Jesus kept loving Judas even though He knew what was in His heart. And by the way, God kept after you even when you were unlovable. You stay with it. Keep at it. Don't ever give up. Now let's move on by remembering the significance of this event by recalling what God said to Adam in chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that ye eat thereof, or in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God made it absolutely clear what the penalty was going to be from eating from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
The Hebrew word for this phrase, thou shalt surely die, means dying thou shalt die. What this expresses to us is the certainty of death. We can, see, we can clearly see that in the phrase, thou shalt surely die. But it also means this, that the process of death would begin to take place and it would continue until death would take its hold upon them and their body would die. Our first parents were created sinlessly perfect. They would still continue to be alive today had they not sinned. But after they sinned and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the process of death began and these two who were created immortal became mortal. They would begin to experience sickness and diseases as sin began to take its toll on them. In time, their eyesight would begin to dim. Their hearing would begin to diminish. Their hair would start to turn gray, Brother Brock. Tyler Brock. He talked about his gray hair. I was amazed. He's got seven and a half days in a week. Remember you said that? I don't know how you pulled that off. You said, I work with him seven and a half days a week. That's incredible, brother. How did you get the ex... No wonder you're already gray. You're living longer. Okay. Listen, their hair would become gray. Arthritis would begin to set in. Their teeth would begin to decay. Their skin would begin to wrinkle. They would one day begin to move a little slower. God will tell Adam in Genesis 3.19, In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. That was the curse. And from this point forward, it would be appointed unto man once to die. But after that, the judgment. Ecclesiastes 3.20 says, All go unto one place. All are of the dust, and all to the dust. All turn to dust again. Genesis 5.5, the Bible says, In all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. What a sad commentary for someone that was created perfect. Had every right, every advantage to keep on living. What began as a perfect life and, and a perfect walk in union with God had become severed. But not only was there physical death, but clearly something had to happen to them spiritually in the day that they chose to sin against God. We'll have to look at this more next time, but we see in verse 8 that they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. What happened? Sin had separated them from God. And they knew it. They now had shame and fear. The fellowship they once enjoyed with God had been severed. Their hearts would now be sinful. Evil thoughts would enter into their, their minds because they now know good and evil. Wicked imaginations would take place. Wrong desires would enter in. They would now battle the flesh for the rest of their lives. What happened? They became sinners. And what's wrong with you and me? Why do we age? Why do these bodies fall apart in time? Why do we battle sinful desires of our flesh? Because we too are sinners. We are born sinners. 
Psalm 55, 1, Behold, I was shapen in, in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58, 3, The wicked are, ex, are ex, estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born speaking lies. Job 15, 14, What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. And we have to grasp what is taking place here in Genesis chapter 3 because without understanding this event, we'll not truly appreciate and understand why Jesus had to come and die and rise again in the first place. This is the reason for the cross. This is the reason for the blood. Romans 5.12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man... Who's he speaking about? Adam. Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And so what we learn from the Bible is that you and I, we have inherited a sin nature from Adam. Someone has put it this way, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Would you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? We'll see how the Apostle Paul, while under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, speaks to Adam, speaks of Adam, and then about the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read verses 12 through 22. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins." Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so we're being told here that death has come upon all of us. For as in Adam, all die. Glad you're here today, but you got a death sentence. Because we are sinners, we needed a Savior. And there's only one true Savior, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't include works, it doesn't include being baptized for your salvation. It doesn't include you give uh, the church enough money. It doesn't include joining as many churches as you can. But it is simple faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Paul is letting us know that without Christ rising again from the dead, then we would be guilty of just following another man. And we would be found false witnesses. And all that we would do would be in vain. If in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. What is he saying? He is saying, because if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. So without the resurrection of Christ, 
What are we doing here today? What are we doing? Without the resurrection of Christ, we would have no hope. We'd have no hope in this life, nor the life to come. But notice 1 Corinthians here, verse, uh, chapter 15 again, verses 20 and 21. But now, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So what is our hope? It is Christ. And, and why is there hope in Christ? Because He rose again from the grave. He conquered death and sin. And in Him, we can have His righteousness imputed to us. Romans 5, verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as by the offense of one, Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That, has, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life, even so my grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, it all fell apart in the garden. That's why you battle sicknesses, disease, cancers. That's why children die. That's why the world's going crazy. That's why there's wars, rumors of wars, nations rising against nations, pestilences, famines. That's why there's all kind of problems and commotions in the world. Why? Because it all fell apart right here. Man chose to be their own God. Fell apart in the garden. Strangely enough, when Jesus was crucified, He was crucified right next to a garden. And they buried Him in a new tomb in that garden. Isn't it amazing that it all fell apart in the garden, but it would be Christ rising again in a garden that we would have the opportunity to be reconciled back to God. There's so much things we can draw here. I'll say more about that when we get to uh, later in chapter 3 when God makes them coats of skin. But let me try to draw this to a close. I shouldn't have to convince any of you that you're dying. Some of you already have eyeglasses or contacts if you're more vain. I'm only teasing. I had the surgery, okay? I mean... Some of you have hearing aids. <laughs> what? <laughs> Some of you have gray hair. Some of you have no hair. Some of you have gray hair, but you don't want to admit it yet. <laughs> oh, we could go around the room and have testimony time right there. Some of you can't do what you used to do. You battle sicknesses, you battle disease, and sometimes now those sicknesses take longer for you to get over. What's happening to you? You're dying. You're counting more wrinkles in your face every time you look in the mirror. And if you're here and you haven't advanced in age yet, that's the nicest way I thought to put it, surely you understand your day is coming. The truth is, even the youngest among us this morning are already dying. 
I also shouldn't have to convince anyone here that you're a sinner. You've done wrong and you know it. And you'll continue to do wrong. You're going to battle your flesh daily through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You're going to tell lies. You're going to think wrong thoughts. You're going to do things you know you shouldn't do. How can anyone here this morning possibly deny the biblical account that we inherited a sin nature from Adam? It's so clear. It's so obvious. Pastor Williams just went home to be in glory. What happened? Sin took hold. Killed the body. It's not going to last forever. You're dying because you're a sinner. You're going to age naturally. You're going to sin naturally. No matter how hard you fight either one. And our sinfulness is what has separated us from God. Isaiah 59, 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. And as sinners, we must come to the realization that we deserve the wrath of a good God. That God is just, and in order for Him to be holy, God must deal with sin, or else He ceases to be holy. Romans 5, 8, and 9, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. You see, without Christ, we're condemned. We have to be made righteous. But that can only happen by accepting God's free gift of salvation through Christ, which was made possible through the resurrection. You can't be good enough to earn it. You can't be good enough to keep it. I've already said you can't work it, you can't give it, you can't join You can't be baptized enough. You're a sinner. And without hope in the world apart from God. And that's why you do the things you do. We have to be made righteous. So have you admitted your sinfulness to God? You know, you're not going to reach out for a life preserver until you know that you're drowning. And you're never going to be saved until you admit you're lost. Let me ask you, have you been born again? In John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, Jesus tells Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto them, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. You see, our physical birth will never bring eternal life. Because all have died in Adam. That which is born of the flesh will be nothing more than what we inherited from Adam. Therefore, we have to be born of the Spirit of God. This is called the new birth. This is called the second birth. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to be born again. I have to say these things because a lot of people 
are raised in different teachings in different churches, and they are taught to resist those phrases. You say, what do you mean by being born again? It means giving your heart to Christ. It means receiving the, His free gift of salvation, believing that He died on the cross for you. Amen. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are ye saved. If you're unsure of your standing before God right now, if you were to die today, and you don't know where you would spend eternity, if you're unsure about any of that, now is the time to get that settled. 1 Corinthians 15.45 And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Has your spirit been made alive by the resurrection power of God? Don't leave here today without getting this settled, please. If you don't have the assurance that you've been born again, we would love for you to come and let us show you from the Bible how you can know Christ as your Savior. Let's have a word of prayer.